0: there was a new up-and-coming band who were on tour from england called the xx (laughs) and uh and he asked me if i wanted to support the xx in in um in uh, the pavilion and i said yeah absolutely sounds great sounds really good and he was like oh yeah and by the way the fee is uh, 100 euro and i was like holy shit like a hundred euro like are you absolutely insane
1: you're listening to one more tune conversations on live music my name is ian Byrne. welcome to episode 56 of one more tune everyone we are staying in my homeland for this one as i chat with irish musician and producer dahi about necessary meditation gear nerves and amongst other things irish anime best known for producing electronic music inspired by irish culture dahi has been nominated for an ifta for his film score work on the movie lakelands he's been choice music prize nominated twice uh, for singles "Chameleon Life" and Mary Keane's "Introduction," and he supported the likes of DJ Shadow, Disclosure, Santi Gold, Macklemore, The XX, Duke Dumont. He's a member of the Irish band Houseplants, along with Bellex One's Paul Noonan, and on top of all of that. He runs an artist retreat called The Beekeepers in the remote Burren region of County Clare. Some of you may also know Dahi from his 2009 All Ireland talent show uh, era. If you want to see his performance, there is a clip on YouTube. Dahi joins us from his newly minted home studio in his hometown of Ballyvaughan to tell us exactly how he ended up recording John Romero's audiobook why he owes his first paycheck for music to the XX, and how influential the vinyl disco culture was for his musicianship while he was living in Galway. And then personally, I just had to find out what the deal was with some of the visuals that he incorporated into his show at Beyond the Pale Festival in Wicklow earlier this year. So he was kind enough to indulge me on that as always we have a couple of songs that are going to open and close the show chosen by dahi himself so we're going to open with familial and then we're closing the show today with sunset both of which are off his 2022 album i'm here now and both of which are on the official one more tune artist playlist on spotify which is linked to in the show notes also in the show notes is dahi's socials so go give him a follow and a listen i've linked to all the socials there if you're in ireland and you haven't seen them yet go to his next show wherever you live and if you've already seen him go again and while you're in the show notes give one more tune to follow too we're at one more tune pod on twitter and one more tune podcast on instagram but better than that if you like this episode or any of the episodes like and subscribe on whatever platform you listen to and also rating the show on spotify is a massive help And, and if you want to support the show we are on buy me a coffee too which i've also linked to in the show notes that's it for me for this week. Uh, enjoy the chat. Enjoy the tunes. And I'll see you next time. Hi. Thanks for taking the time today to be on one more tune. How are you? Thank you for having me. Cheers. I'm I'm good. I'm good. I'm
0: here in a uh, beautiful Ballyvaughan in County Clare uh the sun is shining, but it's gonna probably rain in five minutes because that's what it's like here out in the west so <laughs> standard
1: standard you're in your home studio is it uh
0: yeah, so I built this studio uh last year um and it's kind of in a kind of a room um next to my house and uh basically i kind of i built this up as my kind of professional spot so uh so yeah, it's been going really great it's uh it's a fully soundproof room with a lot of kind of acoustic treatment and stuff like that as well and for the last year i've been kind of getting artists down and working on the records and stuff like that and then working on a lot of score work here as well so
1: it's uh yeah it's been great Really nice. So it's so it's only a year old. I thought, oh, okay. So you were, you were mobile before that, or you were you recorded stuff in Black Mountain Studios? Uh, no. So I kind of always just worked in whatever room I was in. I was living in,
0: oh God, I was living in in Dublin for maybe four or five years, and I just kind of worked out of whatever uh, room I was in. And then before that, I was in Galway, and I had an apartment with an extra room that I used as a studio. And then my kind of main thing most of the time was if I was like writing a record, or if I was kind of working on a bigger project. I would like rent somewhere um, in the West Coast, like some sort of kind of Airbnb or something like that and spend like maybe two or three weeks just kind of working on something and then bring it away and then go mixing and then come back, you know, so. um, So, yeah, so that's kind of how I was doing it for so long. And then when I decided to move back to Claire full time, um, I decided that now was the time to try and start building the studio that i wanted to build always so uh so that's what this is yeah so it's been great
1: so how have you found that affected your whole process you know rather than just okay i'm in this spot for two weeks i have to maximize it now it's just you have it there the whole time you crawl out of bed you know dust the sleep out of your eyes and then you have everything set up has that affected your productivity the way you approach it your output everything yeah
0: it's it's funny so like when i was doing when i was doing music where i would kind of say work on a record for maybe like three weeks or something like that like it was always this kind of thing where i would just kind of basically cut off from society almost completely and basically kind of just record and completely do nothing else and completely throw out any kind of a schedule or anything anything like that and then as I've got older uh, your life just kind of (laughs) changes in certain ways and you just kind of have to kind of go with the flow and kind of learn a new way of working and to be fair as well like so before this I would have been doing an awful lot of just my own stuff working solo completely as a solo artist whereas now a lot of my work is based around kind of collaborating with directors or, or production companies and then producing for other people and and all that kind of stuff so you're kind of it's it's more of a like i just basically have more on so i kind of just have to get better at just completely doing music all the time um and that's been that's been the kind of the harder challenge in the last kind of while is is the whole time management thing and always being on and and that kind of stuff but uh but yeah i'm blessed i've been really really lucky in in terms of what i've been doing and and uh it's been a great couple of years where I've kind of really kind of come up to a new level now as well, which has been great, you know.
1: Was there, or can you point to a time or just was there like a tipping point where you did kind of switch over from, you know, just, Dahi the musician to Dahi the musician producer was it just a case if you worked on one song with somebody and then they told their mate and then you know it just kind of cascaded from there
0: yeah I mean I kind of always been doing bits and pieces with other people like collaboration was kind of always a thing that was quite important in my own stuff in terms of like getting vocalists on the tracks and and all of that kind of stuff and then I kind of uh when the pandemic came how how long does it take in a podcast to get to the pandemic words? That's the real question. But uh, when the pandemic came then and the gigs dried up, which was kind of my main um, kind of income, I guess, when that kind of came in, uh, I kind of didn't have as much to do. And at that stage, then I started working on kind of score work and, and working on kind of shorts from friends and stuff like that. Um, I did one um, for a guy called Michael David McKernan, which is like a short film film. Um, And that basically kind of kicked off me working in kind of score work. And and that was a kind of a very different thing, but it was kind of a whole different world. Now I had friends who were kind of involved in it for a while, but uh, but then, yeah, over the last kind of two or three years, then it's kind of gone from strength to strength. And I ended up doing this film called Lakelands last year, which got me nominated for NIFTA. And uh, and then since then, I'm working on a kind of a major feature currently and one or two shorts as well. So, um, yeah, so that's been that's been kind of the that's been kind of the thing that the, the score work has kind of been interesting because it's uh, it's a it's a job (laughs) like you can really like you can actually make a living off it as opposed to being a kind of a solo artist you know what i mean which has been brilliant and it's like a really interesting thing because you know if i'm doing say dahi stuff um i'm taking inspiration from kind of my own life from my own feelings and stuff like that whereas um, with a film or a short film you have this kind of like a, a canvas that's being built already and you're able to take inspiration off that and build from it and you know my strengths have always been kind of a, almost more as a producer than say a musician or whatever you know I kind of have a quite a broad range of knowing how production works and and how kind of uh how to build a whole completely like natural sounding score out of just what i have in my computer or whatever so that's always been a kind of a big big thing for me um and then from there then uh, i've just kind of really really loved kind of working with other people's stuff and kind of building that kind of relationship with other people and i feel very uh, there's also this kind of weird thing that's going on at the moment where like i, I move back to claire and I live in this kind of small village in Balibon and I've got this like newfound sense of pride about the area. And I love doing this thing where I kind of bring people down and kind of uh, work with them and get them to show the place and, and basically be the host and kind of bring them down. And and that's been a kind of a newfound kind of uh, interest of mine as well. So, um, so yeah, it's been lovely. It's been it's been really, really good. And then on, on this as uh, beside that, then I also uh, I'm in a band called Houseplants with uh, Paul Noonan and that's been a really really great kind of way to get back into the kind of the gig and stuff after the pandemic um and that's that's a kind of that's my first kind of foray into being in an actual band which is a whole new experience to me as well so um that's been absolutely lovely as well so yeah
1: so do you find it difficult or or is it natural for you to switch between the okay monday i have to work on this dahi song then tuesday wednesday thursday i'm working on the score and then friday i'm in house plants
0: it is the most difficult thing that I have to deal with in my entire life like that and like you know like that's my and it's I think it's a quite a classic thing for people in their kind of 30s onwards which is this thing where you're trying to wear 50 different hats all at the same time and, and trying to get your energy into each one and then like you know aside from the music side I also run this um, artist retreat called the Beekeepers as well in, in Clare so there's a lot of this kind of side work to do with that stuff so like <laughs> there's kind of like a whole other kind of world there that you have to think of that's much more practical, you're basically, you know... Replacing light bulbs and fixing stuff <laughs> as as you're doing between the music and stuff. So yeah, it's been it's been tricky, and I still I still kind of ha- I'm still getting to grips with that idea of of moving from one thing to another. I probably say yes to too many things, and uh, I know my partner <laughs> would say that I'm doing way too much all the time. Uh, but yeah, like I do a lot of kind of before before I start working on something like a score or something like that, I'll I'll do meditation beforehand, and that's been my kind of thing to kind of really. Set me in place, and then off I go, kind of thing.
1: That's. I was just going to ask. Do you have any, you know, mechanisms or or ways of coping to, you know, separate, yeah. the, the, you know, delineate the the project? So meditation is, is something that you've recently done and it's it's working for you yeah I kind of I kind of moved on and off with it
0: and then recently it's just become much more necessary because it's like you know <laughs> necessary meditation i do yeah necessary medication yeah yeah I must meditate I'm stressed <laughs> out and trying to figure out how much meditation <laughs> should be done but like yeah like I mean I kind of the this room has been great as well so like my house is over there and then this is separate so there's there's a nice separation with that so I can just kind of leave the office worky bits with my laptop over there and just come in here and it's like music and then and then I'm just kind of there I kind of like sit in that couch and just like do a bit of meditation for a while and then go straight into the, the kind of the writing of the music stuff. And yeah, you know, I mean, most artists will talk about this thing of trying to get into the zone and trying to get into that kind of that suspended level of actually doing music and not thinking of anything else and, and yeah I mean if I can get there as much as I possibly can in my life then <laughs> that's kind of that's the
1: that's the goal you know nice mm. nice and do we have a name
0: for the studio yet? Uh, we're calling it Aspen Lane currently um, because uh, there's like aspen trees all the way along the side of the uh, the laneway and the laneway is just kind of a turn off from the village so it's, it's it's we're calling it Aspen Lane for now I'm trying that out in my head so that's kind of how it's
1: working Um, an <laughs> unofficial title unofficial title yeah yeah, yeah, we'll see how we go. <laughs> okay. And you had uh you had John Romero there uh mm, recording yeah. how did that work out? What what was the backstory behind that? That was wild, yeah. So like the studio
0: had just been built, uh kind of at the start of this year. I I had all the gear in and it was an actual functioning studio. And uh, there was a um there was a actor uh, an American actor in the village who uh, did a lot of voice work um in in America and he said like he was like oh could I do like about maybe like an hour or something like that in the studio with you just to get this like voice demo across to Audible. Um, because they just needed to, to make sure that I'm kind I have somewhere to record and I was like yeah yeah cool that's grand so I, I kind of thought that it would be like a kind of a thing where he would take on like he would start renting the studio out for maybe an hour or two hours or something like that so we did the voice demo and then he sent it off and next thing I got this email from audible saying it's like oh you're ATX approved which is basically like um a kind of a standard for audible where basically your studio is like approved as a voice recording studio and then it turned out I I think I'm the only one on the Western seaboard at all. So then the next thing Blackstone Publishing, who, who did John Romero's book, um, sent me an email because they were looking for an ATX approved uh, voice studio. And then uh, and then that's how I kind of got in touch and stuff. And, you know, like, I mean, Go is about maybe 45 minutes to an hour away. And that's where John lives. And uh, ah. and it was just absolutely incredible it was just amazing like you know I've been a video game fan my, my entire life and it was just this one of these things that has just kind of arrived on my doorstep and I had John Romero just to the right of me here kind of basically reading the book like story time reading me the book and like pausing between like chapters to give me like the real stuff behind the scenes uh, that the lawyers wouldn't <laughs> let him say and stuff like that and it was just an absolute dream it was amazing and he's one of the nicest dudes ever I think he's kind of notoriously the nicest
1: dude in the in the world and uh, it was Lovely, yeah, it was really great. Now, was the record button still on when he was telling you all of the off mic gossip? <laughs> I couldn't possibly divulge. I couldn't. I couldn't possibly tell you.
0: Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's interesting. The audiobook thing. Like, I, th- I think I probably wouldn't do it all of the time. Uh, I would probably only do the audiobook recording thing uh, if it was a book I was interested in, because it's like a really high octane. Like, I, I kind of didn't really realize that when you're recording like an audiobook, you know, like. You are the person who is listening to the person recording, and if if they some say something that's kind of not up to scratch, it's only you who's going to make right. that call. You know what I mean? So it's like it's a proper. You're kind of right on the edge of it and stuff, and you know you get these insane long like uh, pronunciation Excel sheets that are just like every single word that might be difficult to pronounce spelled phonetically beside the other one, and you have to kind of keep an eye on that, keep an eye on what they're reading, and make sure the recording is all solid, and then you have whatever eight, nine, ten days of recording and the recording area has to be the exact same, t- same at all times. So, like, I had to have, like, all this tape on the floor so that all the microphones were in the exact right place and all the padding was in the right place and everything. So, yeah, it was it was a proper kind of uh, uh, responsible job, if you know what I mean. But uh, I think it turned out great in the end and, and the, the publishing company were delighted. And it was just a really... You know, one of those really interesting, weird uh, jobs that kind of come along every so often, you know, it's great. Now,
1: when you when, you know, back when you're wee babby and you first started maybe entertaining ideas of of music being your future, did you ever, Mm. ever consider or entertain an idea of maybe one day I'll, you know, I'll be I'll be in my own studio and I'll be recording, you know, John Romero recording his his (laughs) audio book. Did anything like that ever ever cross your mind? Or- Absolutely not. I, I it's
0: it's weird. Like there's a couple of different things that I never thought would be possible. Like even for a start, like the idea of growing up in a small village like Balivan and. and- and if if whatever like a sixteen year old me, if I was telling sixteen year old, he's like, yeah, you're gonna want to come back here and in your like late twenties, early thirties. Like you're gonna want to come back. Like that would be insane in my head. And even at twenty five, that would have been crazy, you know. Um, but like you're just, I, I don't know. I've I found it very interesting. Like we're we're in a kind of a really interesting industry where I I've got all of my social needs come from music. You know what I mean? Like all the friends that I know and everything are either in film or they're in music and stuff. So I get all this amazing social outlet. Um which means that like I get to live in an area that's super quiet and calm and lovely because I get all my social outlet from all the stuff that I do outside of that, you know. I think if I was if I was kind of trapped here working a job and not going outside at all, then I, I think I would feel different about living out here. But like but but the fact that I get to go and do the gigs yeah. and I get to go and do sessions with people and all that kind of crack it kind of really makes it justifiable and makes it just more enjoyable to come back here all the time, you know? Um, And then like in terms of music, you know, like, yeah, I mean, I, I like I wanted to be an actor when I was a, when I was a teenager. And then uh, I said, I'd go to college uh, and I did journalism and uh, then I was mad to go doing journalism. And then uh, when I was in college, then I kind of started playing just kind of house parties and stuff like that. And that's kind of how I, how I got started and then weirdly enough I ended up on the, the like the talent show circuit and then you know from there like you know I kind of realized that I was like oh maybe I could do this for a living <laughs> and then there was the, the impossibly difficult four or five years of trying to do it as a living and like basically <laughs> not succeeding in that and dying and dying and dying and failing and failing and failing and then eventually seeing a little kind of shaft of light come through and then eventually coming back up to it but uh but yeah, so like, yeah, there's plenty of times in my life where you could have explained what would happen to me eat in each of those five year stints. And uh, and I wouldn't have believed you. Yeah. Surprising. <laughs> well, what was that shaft of light moment? Um, in ter- so let's say I've been gigging for, oh, God, I've been gigging like nonstop with a loop station and a fiddle and maybe like a drum machine or something like that. And I had been doing that for god three or four years um for no money basically doing all free gigs absolutely nothing paid um and then i did one gig um as a support down in cork and uh i got another support slot from this uh, promoter in cork um uh, stevie g was his name he's a really well-known dj he's he's dead on and him and his kind of production company and stuff um and this guy joe um were running a venue called the Pavilion. Um, and the pavilion was this beautiful kind of theater. It used to be a cinema. A lot of people in Cork would kind of know what it's like. It's absolutely gorgeous. And, uh, I was playing these smaller gigs in there. And then, um, there was a new up and coming band who were on tour from England called the XX. <laughs> and, uh, and he asked me if I wanted to support the XX in, in, um, in uh the pavilion and i said yeah absolutely sounds great it sounds really good and he was like oh yeah and by the way the fee is uh 100 euro and i was like holy shit like 100 euro like are you absolutely insane like and i remember i got the i got the um the check he gave it to me in a check and i brought it back up to galway i couldn't drive at the time i was like bringing the gig stuff around on a bus like i was going bus airing from galway to cork and playing these gigs and then getting back on the midnight bus and coming back. And I got back home at like whatever, two o'clock in the morning. And I remember putting the 100 euro check uh, up on my fridge and it stayed there for like for like a couple of months <laughs> probably until I finally <laughs> needed it <laughs> but like I could not believe that I'd made 100 euro off music I thought it was like the most insane unbelievable thing and then from there I'd been kind of doing an awful lot of gigs in the Roisin Dove in Galway which a lot of people in Galway would know um, and I was doing these Wednesday nights um, and I started getting kind of paid the odd bit out of that and I started getting up to a level where I was kind of happy that I could actually kind of start writing properly and kind of releasing stuff and, uh, and then I got a manager uh, Googie, who's the promoter in the Roisin Dove. And really that was the thing that kind of brought me up to this kind of level where suddenly I was actually getting paid to do gigs and, we were actually going places and, like, you know, like, you know, I remember he introduced me to Fight Like Apes one time and I thought that was amazing. Same same night he introduced me to Nylar 9 and I was like, holy God, this is amazing. And from there then, like, I kind of, I started doing more and more of that and just seeing that, like, I was like, oh, I could supplement a normal day job income with with music and I thought that was great. Um. And that was the kind of the big shaft of light. that was the kind of the, the those kind of two years where suddenly I kind of grew up in a kind of a I got a name for myself and started doing more and more gigs and actually being asked to go places. And then after that, you know, you get this hard thing where you're kind of like you're being asked to go places and you're doing really good shows. But like there's this other level that's quite hard to do Um, where basically, you know, you have to then see if you can sell tickets yourself <laughs> and that's like that took another whatever three four five years until eventually I was able to like s- actually sell tickets in like you know Cork and Galway and Dublin and be able to sell out like a kind of a hundred hundred room hundred per person room or whatever And that's a real challenge again. And like, you know, I mean, it's every musician will tell you it's this thing where it's like, you know, you get to one stage and you go, this is the most amazing thing ever for like five minutes. And then suddenly you're striving for the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And like. Yeah, I've, I've talked a lot to different musicians about this where I think we're criminally bad at enjoying the moment when something good happens. We're like everybody that I know who's kind of working on music or working on film or anything. We're always just kind of like, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? It's like, okay, I've achieved that. I don't need to worry about that anymore. I need to move up, you know. So that's been a big that's been a big thing for me is like, you know, taking hold and like actually standing in a moment every so often and kind of taking that in and stuff you know that's been a kind of a good lesson in my later 20s i think yeah and
1: w- was it a case of you know if you if you look at the trajectory of your career was was there a case of you know it, it might have taken you a bit of time to shake off the stigma of the talent show guy like oh that's the guy with the the fiddle and the, and the loop pedal
0: yeah. Yeah. And uh, but you see that the problem is, is that like, I, I, so I did a lot of my I think I've said this before, like I, I I did a lot of my growing as a musician in the public, if you know what I mean. So along the way, so like we'll say when I was doing the talent show stuff, I was like at a level um and I was kind of like, you know, I was doing a certain type of music that was good at that point in my head for the level that I was at right and then like after I mean everybody knows with talent shows there's no musical future to talent shows you have to rebuild yourself and start all over again at the bottom and kind of work up through the kind of the thing all over again and then like after that then I signed with Sony Music Ireland which is like a major label that was a couple of years later and like you know I was making kind of uh quite like i'll call it like edm kind of heavy pop music and that was my first record then like my first album was quite like pop based they were all like three minutes long kind of featured artists kind of fairly fairly pop music and stuff and then after that then um i did like uh uh, yeah and uh, like so each of those times and continuously like there's this thing that you're always kind of pushing back back against when you develop a little bit more if you know what i mean and like you know you kind of gather these people all the way along the way and stuff um I mean I th- I think I think the part where it kind of got quite interesting yeah, like, I mean, so so the the kind of another breakthrough or another shaft of light, I guess, is this thing where, like, you know, uh, all of those ways up. So with the major label and with the talent show and stuff like that, I was doing what a lot of musicians and artists do at the start, which is basically they're going, oh, OK, I think people will like this if I do this, like this kind of thing. And the first time that I did something where I was like, OK, I'm going to do something for myself now and I want to be kind of quite proud of this was this track Mary Keane's introduction, which was like this fucking behemoth of a track that like blew up after I kind of did that and that was like a moment where I was kind of going I was like uh okay I did this for myself and I'm proud of this track and I can kind of stand behind it and even if it didn't do well or if it didn't do anything I can stand behind it and that was the one that (laughs) that blew up the most and was the biggest kind of track so like it, it was kind of a real Eureka moment for me where I was kind of like, okay, well, maybe if I just concentrate on doing what I want to do and like being proud of that thing, that maybe people will find that really interesting. And that was, that was a huge moment for me. And, uh, and yeah, and then like, I mean, yeah, like now I've kind of developed that to a level where, um, I think I was actually listening to, um, Jacob Collier the other day, um, saying this about like Stevie Wonder. I think he said that, like, you know, scale is one thing and, uh, what you say? Scale, scale is one thing, but depth is another. So, like, you know, Stevie Wonder, the huge artist, absolutely massive artist, but the people who know Stevie Wonder's music, the depth of his music is the thing that's valuable. You know what I mean? You can mm. describe Stevie Wonder; he's like, oh, this is this is huge artist. He's like massive, and you know all his songs, but the depth of what he's done is the thing that's the real value. And like, I think that's a really good way to think about developing as an artist. You know, like scale is one thing you can strive for, but it shouldn't be the thing that you're it shouldn't be the main aim it should be it should be a a vehicle to let you do more of getting the depth so creating stuff that will stand the test of time and that you can stand behind always and can push the whole thing on a little bit more you know um and that's where I'm at now with my kind of general career is that like you know I'm writing things that I'm really proud of, exploring new things and and that's kind of got me up to this newer level and and that's been kind of the most valuable thing with producing other artists as well. you know you're able to kind of stand back and 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 see what's amazing about somebody and then try and put a spot like that in that in a way you know so yeah
1: so you so you just described where you're at now, So, because, you know in in the research that that I've been doing your your music has been described as uh and this is like across you know at various different times you know mm. edm pop electronic house indie trad electro math rock uh <laughs> which you know they're not like roll <laughs> off the tongue but and you just I, you, you kind of just said it there we you, you know you're a little bit fluid you just kind of you can go with the flow but what what genre or how would you describe what zone you're in currently for your own stuff like what genres, or or how would you kind of categorize the the stuff that you're putting out now, or or the stuff that's in your mind now?
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's kind of interesting because like you know there's there's a kind of a weird so we'll say Dahi as a as an artist and what people come to Dahi for. There's like maybe two or three things that the, the 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 people who have stayed on, like the people who will go to every gig, and I know those those people, like I know the the fans who who go to all of them. They have a couple of different things, like they like. I think they're, they're one of the things that kind of has kind of come from this kind of neoclassical movement of dance music which is kind of like you know I guess chiasmos and stuff like that is this idea that like you know you can make dance music that's really listenable to when you're not in a club hmm. and it, it's built off atmosphere and it's built off kind of um um texture and it's built off all of these kind of things that that aren't just getting people like moving and dancing you know what I mean like like whatever old school techno and house music you know it's built for the dance floor you know you're, you're building that type of music specifically to get people moving and you receive the, the the feedback on the floor whereas i think where the kind of the the dahi project will say as has gotten to now where it where um all of the records are these kind of things where it's kind of built around samples based on my other my own life or from from different areas and they inspire the kind of the music but I mean, the last two records in particular are quite like introspective and slow and kind of I think people a lot of people listen to them kind of on their own or are are kind of you know, the loss, for instance, the this the record before this one was all about breakups and stuff like that. And the people who kinda come up to me and say that they kind of relate to it most is they go to it when they've had a breakup or it kind of relates to them in some way. So I guess there's like a human experience thing in there as well, which is quite powerful but yeah so like i mean it's a bit hard to know and also i'm i'm i've always been somebody who would be would be quite shy f- from pinning myself down to one genre because i think i think that's quite unhealthy for an artist to do as well you know like if you only listen to one genre and you're only trying to write into one genre then you're you're putting you're putting a specific type of rules on yourself and rules are sometimes good but like genre rules are just kind of I I don't feel like you'll kind of create something that's your own unless unless you kind of throw that stuff out the window, you know. Yeah. I love that that kind of that that idea that it's like, you know, if we woke up um if we woke up the next morning and uh like, you know, genres didn't exist and like they didn't they weren't a thing anymore, then we might listen to something that we would never in a million years listen to and and I think that's like a really amazing thing because like, you know, if you just threw out genre and didn't know what genre was and didn't classify these things, there's no knowing what you would have kind of come across. And as an artist, then you should be taking everything from all these different areas and kind of funneling them into your music. Mm. You know?
1: Yeah. Um. You mentioned their atmosphere and texture, which, uh, so like, so basically the, the first time I, saw, or the only time I saw you was uh, beyond the pale uh, this year. Mm. Um. It was, I think, I think you had two, it was the first set of the day. You had one in the afternoon and then you had yeah, one, one yeah. night. So it was in, it was in the That's tent, right, yeah And, um, yeah the visuals like the you know it, you know you're walking into this pitch black tent and it's maybe you know five six o'clock in the evening or whatever it was and it's the atmosphere and the texture that's created by mm. sounds and the visuals was very very memorable <laughs> for me uh, given like my, my state your state. Of mind at that time <laughs> yeah my state yeah great um And it was like it was it was very transformative in a way because and I might be way off here, but to me, the visuals that you had going on was like anime Mm. except set in Ireland. Yeah, like an Irish like there was there was a lot like a a ginger lad on a bike (laughs) coming out of a of a of a, you know, cottage on the west coast of Ireland is is that right is, yeah is that what yeah that yeah, is? yeah that's correct yeah so 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 tell me about that like where because you know you said you wanted to be a, an actor when you're a teenager and there was a very cinematic feel mm. to how your show was prepared and, and put together yeah so um Can you and just to switch over to the performance side of things here? Yeah. Can you just kind of tell me about first of all, has that always been the case with your shows? Have you always wanted to integrate visuals with it? How important are they? And what's the process in getting the the live stage you know show going?
0: Yeah, yeah. So like, um, as I as I said before, like live shows has had has kind of been my bread and butter for years and years and years. That's kind of where I made all my money. Like I didn't make any money from streaming or anything like that like live shows were kind of always the thing. And I had been doing an awful lot of solo shows where I was using Ableton and looping live. Um, And they were really good fun. They were like these very kind of improvised shows where I would kind of work off the audience and they work really well for like smaller crowds or smaller clubs and stuff like that. And then um, once I started getting on bigger kind of festival stages and wanting to kind of step up, my big thing was to try and transform the, the kind of the live experience into something a little bit more... Um, fleshed out so the the kind of the two main things were vocalists and um a drummer and um the drummer that i have is alex who is he's a a beast he's a beast so yeah myself and alex actually met originally in boarding school and we were in our first band together and then like basically went our separate ways and went through college and i met him again like whatever four or five years after after college or whatever and uh and we struck up a friendship again anyway. And then he started drumming for me. And he's just a beast. Like he's he's, he's got this like huge beard and it's like hanging back hair. He the looks hair, like, like yeah. a younger Rick Rubin or something like that. <laughs> and he's like super like he comes from a kind of like a like a punk rock kind of side and kind of a, like a rock music kind of side. So like he's like the hardest hitting drummer. <laughs> he's yes. just, like Belt and stuff, you know.
1: He hits with his whole body. His whole body, yeah, his, yeah. His whole body is into yeah,
0: it. Yeah, and it and that's quite quite different from, we'll say, a lot of other kind of live dance acts because usually they go the jazz route, you know, like Bonobo or something. We'll have yes. like these kind of very yes. light kind of hatty jazz stuff or whatever. Whereas Alex is just belting it, like it hitting Back, really hard. Yeah. Um, so he's really energetic, and that was that was really amazing. Then we used to get vocalists out and stuff, and then during the kind of the houseplants time when we did our first record i got introduced this introduced to this guy called Keen finley who is this um uh the most unbelievable lighting engineer you've ever seen in your life he is the he i can't really describe but like the fact that i've even met this guy is like one of the greatest things to happen to me (laughs) ever he's like uh like i I, it's hard to describe him but he he is basically he, he was a musician for a very long time uh electronic music and, and basically he started making light shows through um, Ableton, which is the kind of the, the um the computer software that I use for for live shows, and uh, he basically has a musician's head but performs lights like a, <laughs> like a musician, if you know what I mean, and does it all on the fly. He's kind of like very much about being in the moment. Um, if you're in any festival and you're seeing um, For Those I Love, or myself, or Houseplants, or um, uh, who else, Loads of People to Scratch, he, he's the lighting engineer for all of, all of those people. And you'll see him, he's like bald head, like <laughs> basically probably shirtless, like completely performing to the crowd. And uh, when I kind of struck up a friendship with Keen, um, one of the things that we kind of talked about was building out these shows and stuff. And Beyond the Pale were really, really good to us. They kind of gave us the kind of the leeway and the ability to kind of build this show specifically for Beyond the Pale. Um, and it, we built the lighting rigs and, and moved them all in and stuff, and then. The visuals then so then he, he built some of the visuals but then there's this one thing that i've had that has been my like house party trick in <laughs> for like five or six years where uh so i have a song called moonlight which is this kind of like very kind of like built like kind of drum based kind of track and uh and there was this um there's this anime from japan called fractal which is uh it's kind of a very well-known well no it's actually a very unknown uh, anime that was built by these two japanese um anime artists uh who studied for a while um in galway and the first yeah yeah and the first the first episode of the season of the first season there was only one season that got made um they used galway and the surrounding area as the inspiration for where the first character is in the thing and the 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 episode is it's what like it's it's about like about 30 minutes and maybe out of those 30 minutes there's only about like seven or eight minutes uh But like there's these seven or eight minutes that are literally like up the road from where I am now, like walking distance up along the side was all in this video. And like, I remember seeing it for the first time and my mind just like exploding. (laughs) So for years, I've had this party trick where if anybody asked me about music and stuff or at a house party or whatever, I would just go, I'll I'll show you something. I'll show you something. And Moonlight had been a track that I was sitting on for years. And then I, I had edited the video together with this like anime stuff. And then I would just play it and like the whole house party would just like lose their mind and stuff and like uh, we were going to release it on the so Moonlight is in my most recent record which is called I'm Here Now um, which is just based around coming back and moving back to this area and uh, we were going to release it as a video but we just haven't yet <laughs> because because we just had this idea that it was like how cool would it be <laughs> to just keep it for these like big massive shows where we have a screen behind us and out of nowhere there's just this like amazing anime like thing just appears Um and that was that was the very first time that we did it and Beyond the Pale. No and it was like way. Yeah. And like we'd never we that was our first time. And like even we haven't even gotten the system built correctly yet. Like where basically I had a microphone to the side and uh, the microphone went directly to Keen down in the lighting engineer thing and uh, when I was about to just start the first sample in the song I had to like count him in so that he was there with like a button and he would just like press the button and the video would start and like it was like so (laughs) we shouldn't have done it at a festival because like festival shows you only like 30 minutes to set up and everything and it's like so stressful but it worked and it like yes it did man I was looking out on the crowd and like people were just losing their minds like it was a amazing like it was so good so
1: that, that's you know okay so obviously in your mind this has been in you've seen this and this has put together for years and years and years and you're like okay mm-hmm. we're, we're debuting it tonight right <laughs> What what's the process like how and this this can relate to any live performance where you're debuting a song or you're trying something out for the first time yeah what's the mindset like you know in relation to because obviously you have hopes that it's going to go well, and you're going <laughs> to, you know, get the feedback. Yeah. So what's what's the mindset like, and in particular with with that one? Because to be honest, like if if somebody says to me, Ian Howe was beyond the pale. The first thing that crops up to my mind is that ginger lad on the bike, <laughs> and and you know your mate Drummond and just in that tent. Um. So what's it like premiering something for the first time like that? That you're obviously very attached to, and then are you kind of like half looking up kind of oh yeah are people liking
0: this oh man I like i was like i have to keep looking behind to make sure i was like is it in time are we are we like this is all totally working and i remember looking across at alex and alex just going like yeah yeah this is it it's happening it's working um but it's it's like one of those magic kind of and again that's another thing i mean we were talking earlier about this thing of like kind of holding yourself and like you know something really amazing is happening and like if i was like 25 uh, i would just let it flow over me past and then i'd forget about it and i'd go on to the next thing whereas like i act, after that after that song there's one more song in the set and i would i i I made a point of kind of like centering myself into the moment to kind of just go on like, okay, that was like really fucking cool, and like that was like a really great thing. And it's it's just a very very clear good example of um what the Dahi thing is. And I think even now we're coming around to this idea of what the hell Dahi as a project is, and, and and what essentially is it is is it's like, um, primarily we're speaking to Irish people. We're uh, taking something that everybody understands or everybody can relate to or everybody can realize and then we're just presenting it in a way that they haven't seen before, which makes it uh, really impactful to them. You know what I mean? So like, you know, like a sample of your grandmother talking about how they met like your mother, but like on a dance floor and the big like euphoric feeling of that. That's what Mary Keynes is all about. Like the moonlight in that video is like, you know, this West of Ireland feeling that everybody knows but when it's presented in anime which is just fundamentally cool (laughs) you know and like just feels like a thing that like people like I really relate to in this exciting new way of like presenting it that's that's another example of it I have the fiddle up there like a violin and it sounds like a fiddle like an Irish traditional fiddle over and over all of these kind of beats and stuff That just like it resonates with something with Irish people as well, and like at the end of the day, that's kind of that's always been my guiding light with the Dye stuff. It's like if if I feel like I can I can sniff out this feeling (laughs) of like something Irish and presenting it in an interesting way, then I I feel like I'm on the
1: right track. Then every time, you know. Well, I think that's the Stevie Wonder depth that you were alluding to earlier. Yeah. Right. right? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, And then, so you know, what other what other, I guess areas or parts of irish culture are you leaning on or want to lean on like is there is there a particular era or area or historical stuff or 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 shannos or just kind of bits or is it just everything everything irish is is potentially a a source of inspiration for die and we can see stuff kind of coming to the stage in the future
0: yeah i mean it's kind of an interesting one because it's it's what it's really about like i mean i think i think as you get older and as an artist as well you find like you have to have something to say and and a lot of it is based around either your experience or somebody else's experience and like you know emotion like you know what i mean like kind of you know at the end of the day art is all about this thing where it's like okay well if somebody hears it do they feel an emotion and can they can they like really kind of Um, relate to it in some way and that's kind of none of your business but you have to use your emotion how you how you kind of do it and otherwise nothing will ever get produced so you just kind of you just have to like you go okay well i feel this certain way or this certain thing has happened to me i'm going to write a piece of art based on that but then the way i the way i express that emotion um is by finding other pieces of we'll say irish culture or sound or it could be like a good good example is like there's a you'll see you're hearing a lot of different parts of my music where you'll hear these like beach sounds or you'll hear like the sound of the sea coming in and stuff like that and when i when i put like a piece of like a a sea sound in with a whole pile of synths or something like that like that's not that i'm not i'm not always doing that because i want to put a person on a beach or something like that you know i'm not always doing that because it's like okay well just imagine you're at a beach now this is the thing A, a lot of the time it's about like okay I was on a beach and when I recorded this sample and I felt this certain way or I was thinking about this certain thing and the reason I'm putting that into the song is because when I hear that's that sound it relates to my experience in some way and then that will um, inspire me to add another piece or another section or another sound to the song and then eventually a song gets made and when I hear it I hear all of these different things that relate to me personally, but when somebody else hears it, there's some, there's some magical ether thing <laughs> we can't really describe that's like making it unique and making it different, and then people take that and how they relate to it as their own their own thing, like you know, and and that's kind of that's that's how I would build art currently, yeah.
1: And has that always been the the case for you in in relation to what you've been creating? Because again, you know, you've kind of you've you know shimmy your way through different genres or whatever so (laughs) you know starting out um you know where would you be going to to get like inspiration like would you be going i know your family is steeped in the trad uh Mm. traditional tradition um but were you going to like House shows anywhere? Like, is there any? Was there any house shows in Clare when you were, you know, sixteen, seventeen, or <laughs> would you have to go up to Dublin to see like touring acts?
0: Yeah, like I mean, man, like, like I mean, it moves, it moves through time. But like, in terms of like getting musical inspiration and stuff, and the things that have shaped me in terms of, in terms of why I would particularly go for synthesizers or why I would particularly go down the dance music route, right? Like when I was in Galway, I went to college in Galway, and and uh, at the time, um. There was this unbelievable vinyl disco culture uh, when I was like, God, what age was I? I was like, you know, like 21, 22, 23. There was this uh, DJ group called the Disco Nuts, who were uh, uh, this amazing vinyl group who would play like vinyl disco all the time. And they took it upon themselves to teach all of these kind of younger kind of DJs who are DJing in all the different clubs they would like give them free lessons in how to mix vinyl. And that was like in a couple of years, maybe before I came on the scene in Galway. But by the time I got to Galway, there was all these like 20, 21 year olds in like the blue Note and in all these small bars down along, along those sides playing like unbelievable disco with vinyl. And I thought that that was happening all over the country. I thought that like everybody was just listening to disco as like a thing. Uh, and it turned out they weren't <laughs> at all. It turned out like Dublin was listening to loads of techno at the time and stuff like that. So like, uh, that's where I kind of got the, where I kind of experienced parties, like proper parties for the first time. And I think everybody who would listen to dance music kind of knows, they could probably pinpoint a certain moment in their lives where they were going to these like parties that were like these amazing moments. They could have been in a house, they could have been at a club, they could have been at a bar, but they're like the moment where you're kind of looking over a a dance floor and you're feeling the way you're feeling with everybody else at the same time and and that feeling was incredible to have on the floor and then I realised that like while I was doing all the loop station stuff, the thing, the main thing I was trying to do <laughs> while I was in college was that without realizing it. I was like trying to get people up and moving and be energetic and stuff. It's kind of you can make a relation to it with traditional Irish music, you know, particularly like reels and stuff like, you know, when a when a session builds that way, it's you're trying to get that same emotion or whatever. And that's when I started getting into kind of dance, dance music and, and kind of how I started building that. And then. And then I got into Ableton, which is the the program I used to produce. And from there, I kind of moved in through the dance music stuff. Um, Yeah, I mean, ultimately, like, I I, I just think it's really fun to play dance music live. (laughs) It's like, it's a really fun thing to do. And I find I find it really interesting. Like a lot of my mates wouldn't be in wouldn't be in the dance music scene. They'd be more like maybe they might be singer songwriters. Uh, and just the the difficulty of holding a crowd or having a cr- like doesn't come into my experience because I'm just louder than everybody talking, so it's fine. Like you know what I mean. And then like the stuff that I can't believe. Like we t- we were talking about for those I love there a while ago, and I remember Keen, uh, who also does lights for for those I love. You know, and like you know he (laughs) apparently at the start of those shows like you know they're all just standing around before the show and they're just like have have a good gig I guess (laughs) just like this incredibly emotional like (laughs) such a hard thing to kind of go through and like I just don't think I'd be able to do it (laughs) just like that's not what I go to when I want to go play music for people it's it's just not my style and stuff and it's amazing and like like it it's so good that we have a world that that stuff is there but for me the kind of the 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 really enjoyment is kind of like that, not that moonlight moment where you're kind of looking out and people are just like losing their minds and like really getting into it and yeah th- there's also a moment and I've noticed so I do a lot of like uh, improvised solo shows now as well, like I did one in Levis's st- in Bally the Hob there a while ago and stuff and you could be in a room with maybe just 50 people and, and like those are great because that's the true kind of the thing where I've, I've i've seen dj's describe which is like basically when you have them in your hand and you can kind of like control how the thing is moving and you can build people up and build people down when you lock into that that's an absolutely magical experience as well and uh, and yeah I, I, was, I was in Levis's in Bali the Hob there a couple of weeks ago and, and again another moment where I was just kind of like oh yeah like I, I know why I'm doing this and I know why I've always done this and it's like I know why I've driven four and a half hours to get down here and set up the whole thing and drive <laughs> yeah. all the way back again it's like it's those moments that kind of make it worth it you know which is great
1: and are all of your shows completely improvised still
0: Uh, no so the so those bigger shows so like the one I did in Beyond the Pale they're a much more planned thing because we kind of have to build these ideas and and kind of we have to know kind of Which kind of touch points are going to hit at certain moments? But there's there's within within the skeleton of the show there's an there's a lot of improv on top of that. So like anything I would do on the violin would be different every time. Um, the synthesizers, uh, I build the sounds live, so like I can change the sounds and have them different each time. Um, and. Yeah, so and the same with the same with Alex. There's these these moments where he can kind of go off and do his own thing, drumming wise and stuff, and you can kind of launch into these certain sections. But there is a skeleton underneath that 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 controls the these bigger moments that are going to come in at certain points and stuff like that. You know, I think I I I had a moment a couple of years ago where I was playing the same show over and over again, the exact same, and that drove me mad. So yeah. having these like extra pieces where you really get emotion or you can build or or drop down um they're really important to put into a show even if the show is kind of planned as a 40 minute thing like you know so um yeah yeah it's it's an art performing live proper live dance music is a, is a real art and uh and it's difficult to do at a kind of higher level but uh it's it the re- the reward is is pretty amazing and and Ireland has been really good actually like it's really interesting i i think people have a really really good um uh, people really appreciate it when you're when you're not just kind of there as a DJ and you're just like playing whatever tunes like you know I, we have a really strong culture for the last like 15 to 20 years of like live electronic acts you know like the galaxy paved, paved the way for yeah. what I'm doing and stuff you know yeah. so like there's been there's been this culture of like live electronic stuff like for for a long time now and and, and you know you see it you see it more and more like even with the boom and stuff coming through and like mm-hmm. you know there's like there is a culture there that people really want to kind of keep, you know, which is great.
1: And so, cause it's, it always, you know, you, you just kind of nailed it there. You know, there is this big group of, of just really fucking talented people coming out of Ireland right now. Hmm. But there, there seem to be not stuck in Ireland. That's not the right phrase. Yeah. Um. But there doesn't seem to be um, any crossover acts or any like, you know, and you know, COVID just happened, we're we're just kinda getting getting used to the after effects of that. But mm-hmm. um why don't we see more electronic Irish acts doing more international tours? Or am I way off? Are there are there acts who are who are getting out there across stateside, um, doing a few or even throughout Europe?
0: Yeah, I mean currently the the major issue is the cost. Like the actual cost of actually going on tour is insanity like it's basically just not feasible like i I did an english tour last year where i did like six dates driving through and it was just myself alex my drummer um and my sound engineer and you know we made quite a hefty loss on that for shows that just kind of weren't really happening because just the cost of everything is so expensive and i can get into the music business side of things but like there's kind of not really any point (laughs) because it's just like essentially like the, the main thing is is that even like you know if you're if you're traveling with any sort of amount of people the cost of accommodation everywhere is so high and then like building your audience there you like back in the day you used to do like a tour in england every well you might do two tours in england every every year and you know if you got five people at the first gig three of them might bring back a couple of mates for the next one and then you're back in again and you build this like steady fan base of people who are going to go to your shows all the time. It's what we did in Ireland all the time, you know, like that, that's kind of how I've built up my audience in Ireland. Um, But it's just so incredibly difficult to kind of keep that up right now. Um, And then, I mean, yeah, there's a load, there's a load of a couple of different reasons. Um, I think the main thing is costs, honestly. I think like in general, if you don't have money to spend on making a loss on your first or two, three, four tours, then it's just not going to happen and like you know there's just no way you you, like you're going to be looking at an excel sheet at the end of the year (laughs) and you're going to go well i made this much from playing in ireland i made this much on the record with streaming i might have got one or two sync deals And then I lost it all on this (laughs) European tour. It's like, what am I doing wrong here? You know, it's it's like that meme with the guy who buys like 700 candles and has a normal budget for the rest of the year. He's like, what am I doing wrong here? I I don't understand. Like the first (laughs) thing to go is the thing that's going to cost you insane money. It's also the reason like we have these like amazing, we have a huge standard for music videos in Ireland, like way higher than England or way higher than America. Um, but the cost of music videos is so high that like just people aren't really doing it as much anymore. Just the general cost of release and stuff. So, I think I think honestly, I mean, you know, I'm not even going to use the cliche of the punching above our weight thing. Like we're we're we have such a high standard, but like it's the cost of the cost of actually doing the stuff is the thing that's gonna it's going to affect getting Irish acts out of Ireland for sure. Yeah.
1: Well, as well as well like because you know when I when I was growing, um. (laughs) You know, there was only, basically it was Oxygen, w- Witness first, mm-hmm. then Oxygen. And, like, the Slain show would have been pretty much the entirety of, you know, festivals or, or big festivals. But now there's all of these, yeah. shows, like, Beyond the Pale, it was, for, like, first year, like, amazing festivals. Mm. So good, so well-organized, so, like, just brilliant. Yeah. And do you think that it's, you know, it's also... Fantastic that there's all of these Irish acts that are filling up the bills on these festivals. So, you'd hope that, you know, people who come to Ireland to go to these festivals see all these Irish acts and then they go back to their whatever cities and then start listening to Dahi and, you know, Sacramento. And then all of a sudden you have, you know, 20,000 plays in Sacramento. All right, let's book a show in Sacramento type of (laughs) stuff like that. Is it is it still is a gestation of the Irish festivals still too early to see like any real kind of knock on to that? Or, you know, can you see that in your in your, you know, Spotify stats or, or whatever?
0: Yeah, like I f- I find it hard. I'd be interested to see how many international people come to Ireland to go to a festival. Also, yeah, yeah. Because cause the, I mean, the big I mean, the big thing that we would do like I mean, I've gone to Primavera like five or six years and Primavera is like an international festival. I mean, you talk to anybody in Barcelona, they're like they're like what's Primavera? Like they barely know that it's on because it's like completely marketed to uh uh international, international audience. audience and the international audience fly into Barcelona, they go to the gigs yeah. and then they fly back out again. And it's like that's what it's marketed. So sure everything's in English. Like it's it's like really, really marketed yeah, that yeah. way. Um and you know we know why we go to Primavera. It's like amazing lineup, but also <laughs> you get to sit in the beach for the first half of the morning. Like <laughs> sea sessions is on the beach, but nobody's gonna go sitting out <laughs> in the beach like on sea sessions, you know. Um, so I w- I would find it, I, I, I would, I would be interested to see how many international people come to Ireland and how much of a kind of a, a launch that is. Um, yeah, I mean, okay, if we're if we're looking at something a bit more positive, like the thing that I would say is that like. Uh, um, The really encouraging thing that I'm seeing currently is this this move from, Um, there was a time when you were an act in Ireland and you would do maybe four or five shows on a tour. So you'd go to like your three cities and maybe four or five other ones or whatever. But if you look at how Irish artists are working now, they're doing like... 15 16 shows in Ireland. So instead of doing your kind of your five main city gigs or whatever, mm-hmm. you're going down to Levisis in Ballydahab. you're going to Connolly's Alep, you're going to like Homer out in Clifton. Um there's a place called Pot Duggins in in Ennis Tymon that's doing these amazing shows and stuff. Um and you're you're doing a lot more shows in these lot smaller areas for a lot less people, but you're actually turning a profit because the cost of the shows is is much lower. So it's a little bit more work in terms of where the artist is going around in them but you can actually feasibly uh do like 15 shows in Ireland instead of the 5. So <laughs> so my argument's a lot of the time would be uh just stay in Ireland and start doing like lots of shows here. Um I like I think that uh it's going to be <laughs> it's going to be a bit scary here but uh I I did I've done a few English tours and I've never enjoyed playing to an English audience barely at all because the venues are we're again we're at a way higher standard at our venues our sound is better our attention to detail how we look after people in the venues and stuff is just like way higher and probably because there's like there's 200 300 more acts going around england than there is here you know so people appreciate us more here if we're if if we're if there's less people or whatever um so yeah so i mean i don't know like in in for if 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 it i I sometimes get people kind of who are younger artists who are kind of starting to tour and stuff come to me for kind of advice or whatever (laughs) and the best advice i can do is just basically you know go to the smaller gigs like instead of trying to sell out a 300 capacity venue in dublin sell out a 50 capacity venue in an assignment and in Levises and build those audiences that way and learn your craft that way and like and they're way more enjoyable honestly like those smaller gigs if you know that you're gonna sell them pretty handily and everybody there is just so happy that you've come to this small village or whatever like that's yeah. a huge thing and and as an artist you get a lot out of that in terms of you know mental <laughs> happiness and stuff like that so um so yeah so that that would be my advice in general yeah and yeah.
1: where where exactly are you know in relation to i guess i guess well both the business side and both and both your own personal you know attachment to it where does the performing fit in versus the recording versus the you know Mm. versus all the other aspects of it is one do you prefer one over the other do you get a different buzz out of one or is it all just a mishmash of it's just you know creating
0: it's all it's all really good like it's all i mean she's we're absolutely blessed like getting like i'm 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 under no illusions of how lucky i am that i get to do this like full time like that's an absolutely amazing thing and you know all those different facets drive me like all the time like you know playing in front of an audience and having a good time with people is a brilliant thing getting lost in writing a track and (laughs) coming to like three or four hours after writing it is an incredible feeling as well and knowing that you created something like that and then even just coming up with the ideas for your artwork and all of that kind of stuff—that's absolutely amazing as well, you know. So like all of the stuff is is incredible, and if you like all of it, then you're in the right profession. That's my general thing. In terms of uh, in terms of how one begets gets to the other, I would say that like uh, I a lot of the time uh, I would have. I would have said that like writing music and stuff is like the creative side is amazing, but the return on it is there's no business return on, on releasing something. You know what I mean? You, you kind of, you'll get the odd sync deal or something like that. But in terms of streaming, I think everybody knows that's just kind of not for the wall, but like you use it as a promotional tour to book shows and then you make the money back on those shows. That's kind of how, how a lot of people I know are, are kind of doing it. Um, so yeah, so that, that's my kind of general kind of thing on it from a, from a business standpoint. Um, uh, you you take a loss on the records, but then you make it back up on the shows, basically. Mm, okay.
1: Um. I'm gonna read you a quote that you said, and I want I want uh I want a thought about it. Uh, oh, exciting! Uh, so you said every sample should have a backstory, and every song should be personal. Mm. So what about every show? What should every show be? Okay. Yeah. That's a that's a good question. Like,
0: uh, to me, I f- I find I, I one of the main reasons why i strive for a good show is a responsibility to the audience i think a lot of like comedians say this as well as that like you know you know the they've gotten the babysitter for the night they've actually come out of their houses and have actually gone to the show so like you know if you're phoning it in you're an asshole (laughs) like you're you're an absolute disaster if you're like phoning in a show where people have gone out of their way to go to your shows like that's that's a massive mistake so like yeah the shows are like a huge you have a responsibility to your audience to make it as good as possible and you do that through being creative and building the show and being creative and stuff but like you want everybody to go home and be happy you know and then what's kind of interesting as well then is like the houseplants model so the houseplants is myself and Paul Noonan Alex is on drums as well for that band and um, Glenn and Sinead is doing back of vocals who's an amazing pianist as well she, she does a lot of that stuff Um, and there's five of us there and the number one reason we're doing shows as houseplants is to hang out together and the the general rule with houseplants when we were picking the band and putting the band together was like if the gig got cancelled would we just hang out together and that's always been the goal for houseplants and it was like it was a mega important thing after the pandemic because we just needed to like actually be social and that was like a huge thing and uh, and from there then it's just been like this absolute dream of a of a setup because the the um the goals have never been to kind of do anything massive like I mean Paul has Bellex one for that <laughs> do you know what I mean like I, I do I do my own stuff and everything as well so house pants is a purely enjoyable endeavor and we get to enjoy it with audiences and stuff like that and we put on suits and we get to dress up and kind of like you know it feels really nice to go out and stuff so um from a band perspective that's been that's been such a good way to do the band thing because uh, there's just been no pressure other than just trying to have a good time and that's been great you know
1: so th- so then is is your goal when you set out performing is just to make sure you give the audience their money's worth? Yeah, yeah. Anything else is a bonus. Anything else is a bonus. A-
0: anything else is a bonus. And like you know, I mean, you know, because I mean, with 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 dance music. Yeah. And if I I was like a singer songwriter who came up with a guitar and stuff, I might be trying to reach something in myself or, you know, I know a lot of a lot of people who kind of they perform to try and get this uh, like as a form of therapy, I guess, you know, they kind of they try and work this thing out in front of an audience or whatever. Whereas with dance music, you know, you're you're. Uh, you're working for an audience. You really are. Like you're, you're kind of, you know, you're. If you're not reading the audience and you're just playing whatever the hell you're playing, like then you're you're in the wrong <laughs> profession. You ha- like, I mean, everything is built around how the audience is reacting and and trying to get that kind of click where you click in place um so anything energetic and big like that that's that's kind of always my goal so yeah 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 to make sure that the audience goes away feeling great like that's that's a that's a privilege like you know it's great
1: so so that is so basically a you know off stage a good show to you is you're looking at people and they have smiles on their faces and okay that went well even though you might have fucked up a few things doesn't really matter they enjoyed it
0: yeah i think so yeah 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 and you kind of you don't even need to go off stage and look out like you can feel it from the stage when you've done a good job Dur- during
1: it. Oh, during yeah. it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You can, you can just, there's this thing in the room. There's like a thing in the room. That's just like, it's like a soup. It's just like filling. <laughs> and it like, you know, you, you know when a show is good and when a show is bad and like, you'll know it, like even myself and Alex will come off a show. Like we won't even need to say anything. We'll know where the really mm. good ones are. Like you'll kind of know, like, you know, mm. um, and, and yeah. And and it's, it's tricky. Cause like, I mean, we've, we've been very blessed that like, you know, we'll, We'll sell out most of our shows in Ireland, and like that's that's been really really good. But there was a time when you were doing shows to, you know, seven, eight, nine people, and if you are playing dance music to seven or eight or nine people, and and the room is very big, you know, the soup doesn't rise as much <laughs> because it's just a big empty room full of soup. But uh, but yeah, so it's like it's harder when when the audience isn't there. But like then you just that's the that's the, that's yeah. you just gotta go through it. You just gotta last, yeah. you know. So yeah.
1: Yeah, um, and can you can you verbalize? You know, what's your feeling, or you know, what are you feeling? What's your mind space in the fifteen minutes before you get on stage, and then also the fifteen minutes after you get off stage?
0: Yeah, uh, so the fifteen minutes before I go on stage, uh, I get generally nervous. I'm quite a, uh, but w- one of the main things I'm nervous, I'm gear nervous. It's called, which is basically where, gear, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, where I have like. 20 things that could possibly maybe go wrong and you can only do so much to kind of protect from that thing and then for instance like the beyond the pale show which was like <laughs> man the, third, the last 15 minutes of the <laughs> getting on for beyond the pale my sound engineer was also doing sound for uh, Laboom who had been in C sessions the day before and uh, they were stuck in traffic and we had to get like a we had to get a, a buggy from outside beyond the pale uh, and he had to jump out of the van and get the buggy straight up my sound engineer now the guy who's doing all the sound and uh, he had to come up and like they drove him straight to the tent and he ran in and we had about 10 minutes of a line check and like I, I had like the uh, thank God, like I knew I know all the crew at the festivals now for you from years of doing stuff, so like they're willing to kinda of come in and help me out and like, you know, get behind me or whatever, which has just been such a blessing, like that that you know the people who are on the stages and like um we had the whole thing set up for him just before he got on and then like Keen Doing the lights was like rigging lights in the 30 minutes between the two acts because we had all these strobes and extra lights and stuff that we were bringing in, and he was building the rigging in those 30 minutes while we were there and stuff. So like the gear nerves are at like this all-time fucking high. It's like insane gear nerves, gear nerves man. Gear nerves. Um, and then and then myself and Alex just kind of take like a couple of big deep breaths once everything is in place and everything's happening, and then you're still nervous. Like you go out and like you're in the middle of the first song and like you're kind of. OK, it's working. OK, everything's in place. Everything's fine. The lights are actually working behind you. You can feel them working. And like you look over and Alex is just like, yes, I can hear everything in my ears. Yes, I'll give you a nod. And then you're then you're into the zone like or whatever. But it takes a song like um, and then when you come off. uh, uh, Yeah, you come off. It's just like there's an adrenaline that's like insanely crazy and you're you're it's like it's like a bomb has gone off because you're trying to like figure out okay okay i need to walk off stage now but then i need to get the gear off and i need to like sort out all this stuff um and it kind of goes there's like just a ton of adrenaline and you're trying to like just kind of like work through that at a certain point and then like you don't actually get a moment to kind of go okay what was that like uh, until about like 30 minutes to an hour after the show you know the adrenaline just completely takes over you it's like a it's like a whole thing um and uh and, yeah, so it's weird. So, like, you can be coming off stage and somebody could be talking to you and you might not have a clue what they're saying. Like, you know, it's just, like, such an intense adrenaline. Um, but, yeah, it's magic. It's great.
1: Yeah, couldn't ask for more. And Do, do you re- do you record all your shows?
0: No, we record some of them. We record some of them to play them back and kind of practice and stuff like that. And uh, we just to get an idea of the shows and stuff like that. But we wouldn't record all of them, no. No, no, no. Um we should and like it'd be, it'd be lovely to have like we 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 do things sometimes where we bring a videographer along and they would kind of like video some of the stuff and everything but um but yeah but like you know i mean it, again it's one of those things as well where if i ever listen back to a recording of one of my live shows i i can't uh i don't i don't see the show in it like that's not how i remember the show in my head like you know what i mean so it's, it feels like you're kind of you're seeing it from a different angle, you're seeing it from a from a different perspective. So it's it's a very different thing, you know? Yeah,
1: yeah. Um you just mentioned gear there, so uh what's your current live stage setup? And also is there a dream piece of equipment or a dream synth or or anything that <laughs> you you know, when i get my first million dollar check <laughs> i'm getting this piece of equipment
0: yeah uh so uh the live show is that what you're talking about first yeah so the live yeah. show setup yeah. uh so ableton is the brain of the bus so ableton runs the kind of the live show um we'll go through the, like, the improvised show first so I use a push to as my main controller which is like a kind of uh, it's basically built by Ableton to control Ableton so you never have to look at a computer screen and then the fiddle goes through a chaos pad um, which has like a kind of a whole pile of white noise and synthesizer sounds built into it that you can assign by key and the chaos pad also has four pads that are loop stations so the f- fiddle is looped through that and then everything goes through Ableton um, I have all of the baselines from the live show is done by a um, a, a Moog Sub 25, which is a, a Moog sub. Um, monophonic bass so it just has all the bass lines and that's it like nothing else and I can build the sounds from there and then everything <laughs> can be sent to an analog uh, and effects uh, electron it's right here beside me on my on my left hand side my right hand man um which is basically an effects processor and has like whatever uh, eight different types of distortion so you can kind of build make the sounds sound different every single time you play um and then uh, we have in-ears um, and the in-ears, <laughs> we're getting a bit complicated, but the in-ears uh, have a click track. But when I want Alex to come out, so to take out a kick drum or something like that, I can send a signal on the click track. It'll be a different tone that he gets in his ear oh. and that tells him to come out. And we can set those up beforehand or we can set them on the day or we can set them live and uh that basically means that i can send signals to alex without actually talking to him that's... but we do it through tones in his in his in ears and then he has his full drum kit well it's actually it's kind of a half a full drum kit it's mainly like toms and hats and snares and then his his kick drum has a kick trigger on it which goes to a drum machine that's playing a digital kick so every single time he hits the kick drum it actually plays a mix of the acoustic kick drum oh, and a okay. electronic kick. And that's how we get that big, thumpy, mm. proper kick underneath everything. Um, and then a dream piece of gear. Um, so I run a, uh, a, a um, a, uh, uh, an artist retreat called beekeepers, which is where artists kind of go to, um, to record their kind of records and stuff. And, uh, last year, this guy started going who, uh, he has a whole pile of synthesizers Uh, i'm not going to say who he is but he is like the dream amount of synthesizers and i remember seeing a picture on the stories when he tagged beekeepers and uh he had this synth called a moog one um which is a 16 voice moog synthesizer um and i was like oh my god that is insane it's like it's the price of a car like it's insane and uh he um uh, I went to dinner with him. He came back to the Beekeepers again and I went to dinner with him and I was talking about just the synth and stuff like that. And he was like, Yeah, I'm I'm kind of I'm working on a different thing at the moment, so I'm not using it nearly as much as I can and my studio's being redone at the moment. So uh so I'll come over to you tomorrow anyway. I'll come over tomorrow. And uh he dropped over to this studio uh and basically turned up with a Moog One no which has been sitting you have it. Yeah, so I've had it for like three or four months on borrow from him and uh, it's <laughs> it's just the most insane synth ever like it's kind of it, like I kind of feel like you, I would just need to just cancel all projects to really yeah, learn it properly yeah, yeah. but like I mean yeah. if for anybody who doesn't know it's like the, the Moog one um, was did all the synthesizer stuff for Uncut Gems for instance which is like all the basically the presets like you would turn it on and the presets are just you can make the Uncut Gems sounds like immediately and and Ryuji Sakamoto was his main synth when he, before he died and everything as well and oh, it's just it's absolutely mental but um, but yeah, so so that's that's been that's a dream piece of gear. Um, I also just recently got barefoot speakers, uh, and any producers in the room will know uh, barefoots are kind of these like amazing, really clear speakers, and it's completely transformed how I listen to music and stuff. So that's been really really incredible. Nice. But um. But yeah, so that's that's been, that's been it really, yeah. I got a tape machine as well for here as well, I'd I really, really like as well. So yeah, but sure, there's always something. There's always something. Like exactly. as soon as yeah, as soon yeah, yeah. I like get yeah. one, I'll be thinking about the yeah, next yeah. thing and the whole way through, you know. So, so yeah. yeah,
1: I'll be talking to you again next year <laughs> and then the, your walls will just be full. Yeah, of, yeah, yeah. You know, I'll be talking about a
0: Moog 2. Another. I want a Moog 2 yeah. then, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> um, Dahi, and I have to get out of here. Thank you so much for your time. I finish every chat I have with this impossible question. Great. Don't overthink it. But you have to give me your dream lineup. So you're going to your last gig ever. Okay. Um, I need the main uh, and the two supports. And then what's the venue?
0: Okay, great. So the supports for me uh, would... Uh if you're if it's the final like gig of the year or whatever, you probably want to kind of shake it up so that the supports don't actually necessarily suit the main act. If you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, my great my so the headline act uh, and the act I never got to see and that I always wanted to see was Daft Punk. I never saw Daft Punk, uh, particularly that like Coachella kind of Eiffel Tower show with the with the full thing. I think that would have been absolutely amazing. And they've been Discovery is like mm. one of my all time favorite films, films uh, albums albums. <laughs> uh, then just before them would be uh, Kate Bush doing the album Hounds of Love, top to bottom, <laughs> okay. with it with the Fairlight actually in the room. Fucking, that would be incredible. Um, and then just before her then would be... Yeah, so we're kind of, so to say, the the, the first support act would have to be a little bit quieter, so we'll build over time. Um, uh, yeah, actually, we, we said Ryuichi Sakamoto. I'd have a Ryuichi Sakamoto... Um, doing a kind of a greatest hits mix or his record async which is like this amazing record or and and like one of the songs is kind of the basis of where the revenant kind of came from that that main kind of synth story there as well so um yeah i think that would be amazing right kidding me ryuchi sakamoto <laughs> into Kate bush into daft punk i mean yeah 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 and okay and then and then the venue would be uh harpa in iceland have you ever heard of harpa um it's like uh Iceland Airwaves is kind of built around it's like a huge kind of uh venue, kind of concert hall that has three different rooms and they sound absolutely incredible. They're the best venues I've been to and they're absolutely gorgeous and uh they're overlooking these huge glaciers just outside Reykjavik as well. So uh so yeah, right, that'll be pretty decent. pretty that'll be pretty good. Yeah. We're pretty solid. Yeah.
1: Decent. Alright, so <laughs> anything you want to plug? Anything on the go? Obviously, you're doing loads of producing, soundtracking, working with artists, left, right and centre. Album just came out, uh, well, last, well, Jesus, yeah, it's- Okay, yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> Album out last year. What can we expect the next few months? Any gigs coming up? Any anything else going on for you?
0: Yeah, uh so the next gig is Fall Right Into Place, which is uh in Claregalway Galway Castle, just outside Galway. Uh, I'm thinking I'm playing with the murder capital and and a couple of other people, so it's gonna be a oh, good nice. show. I think that's on the Sunday. Um Records wise, I'm I'm working on a on a feature film called Christy currently that'll be kind of probably out in the in summer next year. So I'm kind of on a very long. I'm basically doing four months of an actual score. So I'm kind of concentrating that for the for the time being. But uh, there will be a Houseplants record out next year. Um, and then I'm also currently working on Elaine May's record, um, her upcoming record as well, and I'm kind of co-producing that with her and. Uh, when I say it is a 90s house smash I am not joking it's absolutely <laughs> incredible there's like M1 piano on nearly every track and everything as well so for the dance music fans it's it's a major one it's going to be great um, so yeah and then there'll be a Dahi record probably at the end of next year or something like that I would say probably we'll see no promises <laughs>
2: What do you mean? Last time we spoke, you said you miss me And I've been lying away Always overthinking You act like it never happened I tried to do the same But since you cracked me wide open I can't look at it that way Oh, come on, you know, these things are never easy. Oh, come on, you know, these things are never easy. If you can't even look at me, then just stare at the sunset. I know it's getting late.